So great compassion is the root of all happiness for ourselves. Yes, if we think about it, our ability to create positive karma and abandon negative karma is due to being taught. And so whoever it is who teaches us how to be a kind human being and avoid harming others, that person is teaching us out of compassion. And if we're following a spiritual path and are trying to learn what to abandon on the path and what to practice so we can attain liberation and enlightenment, we also depend on teachers who are teaching us out of compassion. And they're depending on the teachings of the Buddha, which the Buddha gave from his great compassion. So seeing how much we've benefited from the great compassion of the holy beings and the compassion of sentient beings, then let's wish to pay it forward and generate compassion ourselves so we can be of service to others. And the service we want to offer isn't just fixing things in this life, but showing the path to liberation. And to do that, we have to actualize that path ourselves. And so we generate the bodhicitta, aspiring for full enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. Yesterday, with the question of if sentient beings are empty of inherent existence, who do we have compassion for? So this is a question that has come up in, uh, you know, the Buddhist text since the very beginning. You know, this kind of question. Well, if everything's empty, then who do we have compassion for? Because these sentient beings don't exist. Well, this is one of the, the big mistakes that people often fall into. We talk about two extremes. Okay, the extreme of uh, absolutism or reification, making things it believing that they're inherently existent and solid and real. And then the other extreme is the extreme of nihilism, 
thinking that nothing exists or that after death the person stops and there's no future life you know there's various kinds of nihilism just as there's various kinds of uh, absolutism okay but both of these two extremes are predicated on the same confusion and that confusion is that thing if if things don't truly exist then they don't exist at all so the person who has either of the two extremes has in their mind this dichotomy either there's true existence or there's non-existence okay so and that that would appear just kind of sure everybody accepts that well not the Buddha um so when we talk about the Buddha teaching the middle way the middle way is not the midpoint between true existence and non-existence you know it's not averaging the two out and coming to the middle but the middle way is something that is completely outside either of those two extremes okay because those two extremes are, are quite narrow and this is what we often fall into because we're so used to things appearing truly existent to us we're so used to grasping things as truly existent that if we start to question it intellectually or if through experience you know there comes some glimpse of emptiness then our mind tends to flip to the other extreme and so say well nothing exists at all and even within the Buddhist tenet school we talk of different philosophical tenets and many of what are called the lower schools they have that very thought that if things either truly exist or they don't exist at all there's no other option and so because it's a Buddhist school they fall on the air fall to the side of uh, thinking that things truly exist they grasp onto that whereas in ancient India and even now in America there are others who go to the other extreme of annihilation and nihilism and say you know nothing exists The the brain is it the mind is a function of the brain when the body dies the mind ceases the person ceases there's no karma there's no you know effect of uh, ethical discipline or unethical actions because when you die it all stops it's a common view of society isn't it yeah so that kind of view is a nihilistic view of course the people themselves think things are inherently existent but but this this is the thing I mean although the two extremes seem completely polar opposites actually they're not because they have this common thing of things either truly exist or they don't exist at all okay so that person can grasp that everything is truly existent and then very easily flip to it doesn't exist okay 
So there's a truly existent body, a truly existent brain, a truly existent person. But at the time of death, <coughs> goodbye, and it ceases. Okay? So there were also schools in, in ancient India that, that uh, had that kind of take on things as well. Yeah, it's, we weren't the first to develop that. Um, okay, but the middle way is, like I said, it's not a midpoint. It's something completely outside of those two extremes. So, from the viewpoint of the middle way, things exist, but they do not inherently exist. Okay? How do they exist? They dependently exist. Okay? So, if something exists, the only way it can exist is dependently. There's no such thing as inherent existence. Because if you try and find inherently existent things, you can't find them. So things are empty of inherent existence. They are non-truly existent. But that does not mean they are totally non-existent. Okay? Why are they not totally non-existent? Because they exist dependently. So this whole thing of dependent arising, it fits in to to show us to depend the dependent arising is what is used to disprove both extremes. Okay? Because the people who think things inherently exist think that everything exists independently with its own essence. So if you meditate on dependent arising, you see that things exist dependently, therefore they don't exist independently. Okay? So dependent uh, existence, dependent arising, counteracts the grasping at the extreme of uh, absolutism. Okay? Then, if the person were to flip and go to the extreme of annihilation, oh, nothing exists at all. It's all a dream. We've heard people say this. It's all a dream and nothing exists. Do whatever you want. As long as you don't get caught, it doesn't make any difference. Okay? So, those people are going to the extreme of nihilism, thinking nothing exists. Dependent arising counteracts that because if things exist dependently and they arise dependently, then they exist. Okay? So, somebody once asked His Holiness if Buddhism had a slogan and he said, well, if we did, it would be dependent arising. Because dependent arising is what balances us out. We can't go to non-existence because things dependently arise. We can't go to independent existence, inherent existence, because things dependently arise. 
Okay? So dependent arising is completely compatible with emptiness. Okay? Why? Because remember, emptiness doesn't mean total non-existence. It just means empty of inherent existence. So things can be empty of inherent existence and arise dependently so that emptiness and dependent arising come to the same point. They're mutually complementary. Now this sounds like a lot of nice theory, but how does it affect our life? Sitting here, well, yeah, that's very nice, but so what? You know, how does this stop my problem? And how does it stop this other problem that I've been worrying about? This is my third day worrying about this problem, and I'm getting pretty tired of it, and I want to stop it. You know, so how does this help? Okay, so here's where we're going back to compassion. You know, uh, seeing the unapprehendable. Okay because that it boils down to that all of our suffering, all of our dukkha, not just the pain, but also, you know, what we call happiness as well as the pervading compounded dukkha, all of that arises dependent on the ignorance that grasps the true existence. Okay. So what the evolution is, okay? There's a body and mind. Yeah. We're not content with just a merely labeled body and mind, so we think there's a... Well, let's start it this way. Okay, there's a body and mind. And on the basis of the body and mind, we impute person. Because okay. person, you know, is kind of a quick abbreviation. Instead of saying, uh, you know, that body with uh, a mind attached to it that is walking across the road, you know, I mean, it kind of becomes pretty complicated. You just say, whoever, you know, Philip is walking across the road. You know, you just do it like that. Yeah. So, in the, on the basis of, this, of the body and mind being together, we impute person. Now, we forget that we've imputed the person. Yeah, we forget that the person exists just by our having a concept and giving it a name. And instead, we think that there's something from the side of that body and mind mixed in with the body and mind somewhere. We're not quite sure where. But some real person is there. Okay? So when we look at, at ourselves, you know, the same way. There's a body and mind, there's a nearly imputed self, but not being content with a self that's nearly imputed, we add some extra flavor. And the extra flavor is there's a real need. Yeah, so there's a real me, just as there's a real person. We're not uh, out there, we're not contented with you know, beings that are merely labeled, we add this, you know, the extra dash of seasoning here called inherent existence, which ruins the soup. Okay? Because once you have a dash of inherent existence in your soup, the whole thing becomes inherently existent. Okay? 
So on the basis of thinking that there's a real need, okay, then this need is very important. Okay, the most important one. And there are things that give me pleasure. And since I am very important, the things that give me pleasure become incredibly important. And I want those things. I need those things. I can't live without them. I've got to have them, and I'm going to do anything I can to get them. That's called attachment. Okay? Then what happens is something or someone gets in the way of our getting what we want. How dare they? They're interfering with my happiness. They're causing me suffering. They're destroying what is valuable to me. Okay? And there we have the birth, the birth of animosity, anger, hostility. Okay? And so we go round and around you know, between attachment and animosity. And every once in a while we get confused and we're spaced out. And that's sometimes called ignorance or it's often translated as confusion or bewilderment. So we have, you know, we just don't know what to do. You know, what's the cause of happiness? What's the cause of suffering? What am I supposed to do anyway? You know, uh, or, or we just kind of self-medicate. So we get stuck in our ignorance. Duh. You know the whole thing, ignorance is bliss. Duh. Yeah? So, so then our life becomes, you know, one big rotating uh, merry-go-round of clinging attachment, animosity, and confusion. You know, with everything based on and then out of those three we act, so that's karma. We act through what means of our body, speech, and mind. We think things, we say things, we do things. You know, those actions leave their disintegratedness, our karmic seed. And then, you know, influenced by other conditions, of attachment, animosity, and and bewilderment, then the karma ripens, and we have more experiences in which we again battle with the world, struggling for what we think is going to make us happy, wanting to beat up or run away from what's going to give us pain, or spacing out. And then that creates more karma, which leads to more situations, and more rebirth, and then we do the react the same way, and then that creates more karma, leading to more rebirth, and we react the same way. And this has been going on since beginning of time. Okay, and that's the situation we're stuck in. So the root of that whole thing is holding ourselves and other phenomena as having a type of existence that they don't have. We think things have their own essence. So there's really something there. So 
here I'm sitting here somebody walks in the room and says all these horrible words okay on the basis of me thinking that there's a real me their saying all these horrible words becomes a big deal yeah if I don't have this conception that there's a real me if there's only a body and mind with you know a person merely imputed for convenience sake then there's nobody there who's going to get angry because my body's not going to get angry yeah my mind isn't going to get angry mind is just clarity and awareness doing its thing yeah but it's because I clutch at this real I that then this mental factor of ignorance gets really angry I mean the, me- the mental factor of ignorance doesn't get angry it gives rise to anger that would be technically correct here okay and so then anger comes karma is created keep on going okay so if there's no inherently existent me here then I don't have to worry so much about how people treat me whether they like me or don't like me whether they approve of me or don't approve of me whether I live or whether I die because there's no solid thing there that has to be protected okay. so there's a lot more freedom without that, that clutching and grasping similarly it's not just a clutching and grasping at me the person but how everything around us we grasp and clutch at the same way now we were talking the other day about how we might say my child then all of a sudden that other living being becomes very solid and concrete yeah. and because it's my child they have to be the best one in the world because if they aren't then that means I'm a bad parent and it's all my fault it's easy you know or uh, you know this new sailboat gives me happiness yeah so the sailboat there's a real sailboat out there okay. there's a real bottle of gin there's a real joint there's a real computer there's a real write-up about me in a magazine there's a real you know whatever it is that we're holding on to but we think it's real it has its own nature so therefore it's something valuable there's real money there real money not monopoly money real money not like in Singapore the money they give in their relatives die you know from the bank of hell yeah when your relatives die you know you in in ancestor worship practices you want to send them on with things they need in their next life so you there's paper money you go to the store that sells it and you buy paper money you know it's designed in big bills from the bank of hell 
Okay, and you buy paper computers and paper cars and everything that you're going to send with your deceased relative onto their next life and you burn them. Yeah, you burn them and send them on to their next life. Okay. Because all these things are real, you know, they need real money. Yeah, we have money, so our relatives need real money in their next life. Yeah, well, we really need real money in this life, don't we? Except somehow our real money is more real than the bank of hell that we burn the bills to send to them. Okay. But is it more real? Is, is our money more real than the bank of hell? It's all just paper and ink, isn't it? Whether it says, you know, I don't know what it says. The U.S. government, is it? Yeah, besides in the we trust. Besides George Washington's, you know, photograph or U.S. Treasury. Is that what it says? Okay. You can see how much money I have. I don't know what it says. Um... Okay, <laughs> but that is real, real, you know. And my value as a human being depends upon how much of that paper and ink I have. Isn't that the way we think? Yeah. My value as a human being depends upon how much money I have. Now we all say, oh, no, 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 no. That's for all those stupid materialistic consumer people. I don't believe my life value is measured in money. But how much time do you spend worrying about how much money you have? And how much, you know, in your old age? Because we all need money in our old age, don't we? Do you have enough money for your old age? You know? No. That pension doesn't cover it. All the investments don't cover it. The CDs don't cover it. The stocks don't cover it. The real estate doesn't cover it. We, you know, we just don't have enough money. Or time. Or time. <laughs> so, you know, we get in all these conundrums because there's real money. That determines, you know, security, real security. And it's going to determine whether our, our parents think that we're as good as our siblings. So if we don't have as much money as our siblings, maybe we're not as good. Yeah. So, uh, we get all tangled up about money. But what is money? It's paper and ink. Just like Monopoly money, just like the Bank of Hell money. It's just paper and ink. That's all. Okay? On the basis of that paper and ink arranged in a certain way, all of us have decided to impute value on it. Does that paper and ink have any value aside from what we impute on it? From its own side, it has no value, absolutely nothing. 
If you showed all those $100 bills to somebody 500 years ago, you know, they wouldn't use it. U.S. didn't even exist 500 years ago. What are those pieces of paper worth? Maybe you stuff them in the cracks in your, you know, in your hut to keep the cold air from coming in in the winter. That might be a good use of them. But aside from the value we impute on those pieces of paper, they don't have any meaning or value from their own side. It's only because as a collective we have decided to attribute meaning to them. That's all. But we forget that. Yeah? And instead we think that there's real security inside that paper. And there's real happiness in there. And there's real success in there. And I've got to have it. Okay? So do you you see how if, if we saw it as something that's merely labeled that our mind would be a lot looser around the whole thing. Yeah, but because we see money is truly existent, our mind is, whoa, it's totally nuts. Okay? So this is how grasping an inherent existence causes us difficulties. If we're able to eliminate that grasping, then that whole thing, that whole edifice that we've constructed on the basis of ignorance falls apart. Okay, so ignorance is the root that gives birth to bewilderment, attachment, and hostility, which gives birth to the, you know, those are the branches, and then that produces the karma, and then the karma just flies like leaves, you know, in the autumn, flies all over the place, and results come. But if you uproot something, then the whole thing collapses. So in seeing that, that's how we cultivate compassion for sentient beings, how we cultivate compassion for ourselves. Because we see that all of this is coming from the mind and it's totally unnecessary. And we understand that the ignorance is eliminatable because... It's based on wrong conception. Okay, the ignorance is a wrong conception. So as soon as you have a mind that perceives things as they are, then that ignorance can't be manifest in the mind at the same time. When you repeatedly familiarize yourself with that wisdom that directly perceives reality, then gradually all these afflicted mental factors and the karma that they cre- was created by them get eliminated from the mind stream until at some point they can never arise again. Okay, that's liberation. So we see the, the Buddha nature in other living beings. Yeah. We see that they are not inherently afflicted, not inherently doomed to suffering but that suffering arises, dukkha arises just because of causes and conditions and those causes and conditions can be eliminated because ignorance is the chief one and it can be eliminated by the wisdom that perceives the opposite of what the ignorance perceives. 
Okay, so this is why this whole topic is important to us. It is related to our life. Okay, yeah. And so if we understand dependent arising, then we understand that things are empty of inherent existence. We can use that to eliminate the grasping of true existence. And then, so that we don't fall into nihilism, we continue to contemplate dependent arising and see that, yes, things exist, and they exist dependent on either causes and conditions, parts, okay, and or the mind that conceives and labels them. Okay. So things exist, but they don't inherently exist. They're empty, but they're not non-existent. They exist. How do they exist? Conventionally, nominally. Not with their own nature. So who are these sentient beings that we're having compassion for? They are the nominally existent sentient beings. The sentient beings that exist because the mind has conceived and given a label. Self, person, sentient beings. You know, Mildred, Ethel, George, you know, we impute names. You know, there they all are. Yeah, we give them names so they become known by those names. But the name is not the person. Okay? Nominally existent, conventionally existent. So nominally existent exists by by name only, by being designated. Okay? They don't have any inherent nature out there. They're like the moon reflected in water. There's an appearance of something, but when you go to find it, you can't. There's the moon appears in the water, but when you try and put your hand on the moon in the water, there's no moon to put your hand on. Okay? So real people appear, real sentient beings appear, but they don't, they don't exist as they appear. So when we try and find something that's a real sentient being, it's like putting your hand on the moon in the water. Okay, there's no real sentient being there. But we can still have compassion for these sentient beings, even though they're not real, even though they exist by, be- by mere name, even though they exist only on a level of appearance. Okay. So when we're realizing emptiness, it's not that wisdom destroys inherent existence. Okay? It's not that when we realize emptiness, we destroy inherent existence and make everything empty. Because inherent existence never existed to start with. Okay. What's getting destroyed is the ignorance that grasps at inherent existence. But it's not as if right now everything is truly existent. And then we realize emptiness and then everything becomes non-truly existent. It's not like that. Okay, things are non-truly existent right now. They are empty right now. 
So all the, the, the wisdom does is see what is. It stops painting and projecting and fantasizing. Okay? So there are sentient beings to have compassion for. But these sentient beings exist only nominally, just like we exist only nominally. Because the Buddhists have compassion for us right now, don't they? Aren't there all these gazillions of Buddhists and Bodhisattvas who have compassion for us? Yeah, they all have compassion for us. They see that we're empty of inherent existence. They see that we exist nominally. They still have compassion for us. But we make everything, we reify everything and make it truly existent. And then, of course, we don't have compassion for us, do we? So realizing emptiness doesn't destroy sentient beings. It just destroys the ignorance that thinks that they're truly existent. So it's going to destroy, eventually, you know, the appearance of inherently existent sentient beings. Because for a Buddha, from the Buddha's side, sentient beings don't appear inherently existent, because they aren't. Okay, and Buddha sees things as they are. But sentient beings still exist. Okay? So those are the the sentient beings that we're developing compassion for are the non-inherently existent ones. Because that's the only ones there are. There are no other ones besides that. Okay? Where's the inherently existent thought? 